we're going to turn to James 1 right now and read verses 12 through 18. And if you would stand with me, please, as we read the word. And I want to remind us, too, as we do that, Wade and I have been doing study guides to go along with these. And they're meant to be done in community as well as in your own individual time, too. And it really takes us through that head, heart, hands, as I was just saying. And so we strongly encourage you when we post these online, the audio, to also grab that little PDF. And it's just a few questions that will guide you through some time on your own. And then also some questions that you can go in community, whether it's in your DNA group or your missional community or whomever it may be. And dialogue through those together and really work them out. And then ask those questions, how are we going to live this out now? So make sure you take a look at those. Super important. James writes this. And before this, he's writing about trials, right? That's what Wade spent the last two weeks on. We're going to go through trials. It's going to be hard. And so he continues this. Verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we pray that your word would renew our minds this morning, transform our hearts, and that we would go from this place living it out with a new desire or a renewed desire to walk out what you have called us into in the power of your spirit because of the blood of Jesus and to the glory of the Father, we pray. Amen. You can be seated. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, I used to be a rapper. Not many of you knew this about me. Uh, It was when I had more hair up here and less hair down here, and a little more vigor in my youth, and I uh, grew up on the mean streets of Glendale. So naturally, I, I, I turned my heart to hip-hop, and actually one of the first rap songs that I wrote down in my notebook contains a verse that we just read this morning, and to whoever can come up to me afterward and guess the verse that I wrote this rap song around, wins the right to rap battle me. <laughs> I hope it's you, Jeremy. We'll see. So this, this is a text that is very dear to my heart and also very, very convicting for me. When I say that, that it's convicting to me, I don't mean that I read it and I feel guilt and shame and I beat myself up, but I mean like the spirit opens me up to see there is something better for me. 
That's the truth that he convinces me of. And that's the truth I'm praying all of us will see this morning. And so this is really the third part of a continuous thought James has been working through. As I said, Wade preached through the last two weeks of that. And he essentially starts with this saying, setting the tone for his whole letter, which is, look, what God wants for you is that you would be made whole and complete, lacking in nothing. The full maturity of what it means to be a human being created in God's image. That's what he wants for you. And he moves on to say, but listen, things are going to get hard. Life's going to suck at times. You're going to face trials as you're working that out. You're going to face tons of trials, but do not give up. Do not lose heart because if you ask, God will give you wisdom to meet those trials. That you can press on through that in the power of the Spirit. And now, James turns his attention to temptation. And I just want to make a very clear distinction right off the bat, just as James did. That trials and temptations, oftentimes, in our eyes, they seem very similar, but they are two completely different things. That trials, trials are not necessarily bad things. In fact, Oftentimes, God not only allows us to go through trials, but he orchestrates them. And he does it to test us and to strengthen us and to help us to grow. Just like you would choose to go work out and put your body through pain. Some of you choose to do that. I don't know why. But you do it for a purpose, for a joy that's set before you, right? Like, in the end, this will produce these results. Trials are not, not evil. They are not wicked. Trials God uses for his glory and our good. Temptation, on the other hand, temptation is wicked. Temptation is evil. Temptation doesn't come from God in any way, but temptation is when we believe lies about who God is, and we turn our desire, our heart, our affections to something other than him. See the difference? Now, the reason James puts them together is, one, he wants us to know the difference, the distinction. But two, he knows that through those, we need one thing. We need to trust. Facing trials, facing temptations, we need to trust God. And he also knows that oftentimes those temptations come through the doorway of trials. That when things do get difficult, when life seems hard, that's when we get tempted. That's when we get tempted to give up hope, to lose sight of what's going on around us, to lose sight of who God is and what he has done for us. And we want to take another way. We want to take the easy way out. And so oftentimes, trials come, and listen, it can produce one of two things for us. It can either begin to transform us, to bring us to maturity, like James is wanting for us, what God desires for us. So it could bring transformation or it can bring temptation. And what do we do when we're faced with those temptations? That's what James is looking at this morning. That's what we're going to be looking at. And he, when he's looking at this, he immediately turns to what he calls our desires. God, God is not the one who will tempt you, but this is what happens. This is why people are tempted Every single one of us, James writes, he says this in verse 14, each person, 
is tempted when he is lured and enticed by what? His own desires, right? All right, each person turn to your neighbor and tell them right now your deepest, darkest desires. Go. What? Not going to do that? Okay. Oftentimes, though, oftentimes, when we read that scripture, we're thinking of like this fleshly, icky desire, this wicked thing. If I were to instead to have asked you to share with someone next to you, like just one thing you hope happens this week. One desire you have for this week. If you have kids, a desire you have for your kids as they grow up, or maybe it's a desire you have in your workplace for something to change. Or even a desire for your home and the relationships that are taking place there. Or even a desire for how you would grow in your relationship with Christ. Are all desires bad and evil and wicked? So what is James saying here? There's, there's really two different ways to look at desire. And one is what we would call hedonism. And that is this. That is, when desires come, embrace them full-heartedly, welcome them in, let them reign wild and free. And that is how most of the world tells us to treat desire, right? Anything you want, you should get. You deserve it. You should be happy. Then there's another school of thought, and this is really, I think, what is called Stoicism. The Stoics would say that we need to suppress our desires. So when you have this urge to do something, that you, you just take that and you stuff that down, and you push that back, and you keep that hidden, and you try to overcome it, because we should be better than that. We should be above that. And true altruism and doing what's right and needed in the world means that you have to push all of your desires and wants aside in order to make that happen. And what's interesting about that is that in itself is a desire to be a different type of person, right? It doesn't really work, but oftentimes we take that into our Christianity, into following Jesus. And we say, in order for me to follow Jesus and to be more like him, and to display the glory of God to the people around me, I need to just take those desires I have and just push those down. I need to scrub them away until they're clean and gone. Is that the life that God wants for us? That anything that we want or desire needs to be obliterated, and we need to be stoics, and we need to be like robots that just perform the way he wants us to perform. Or is it when we take hedonism into our Christianity in a negative way and we say, well, but there's grace and there's freedom in all things, and so just do whatever you want, and Jesus loves you anyway. Is that what God wants for us? I don't know about you guys, but I see a problem, a dilemma with both of these, right? And so what do we do with that? The other day I came home, and I got home at about 1 o'clock, and I hadn't eaten anything all day. And so I get home, no one, no one else is home, and I go to the pantry, and I know there's like nothing in the pantry anyway, but it's just you go to the pantry, you know, or the fridge, and then you go back to the pantry, and, and like you keep hoping something else will appear when you open the door. So I get home, and like I, I know there's not much, maybe I'll grab a banana though, and I open the pantry, and I see 
a box of chocolate peanut butter Cheerios. I didn't know that they existed. And I'm like, how did this get in my pantry? And I'm looking around, and my wife's not here, and my kids aren't here. And let me tell you, I had a strong desire to eat that whole box of Cheerios. I had two bowls. I stopped there. That was, wasn't a bad desire to eat two bowls of chocolate peanut butter Cheerios. Listen, God created oats. He created peanuts. He created cocoa. He created us to have appetites. He created cows that would produce milk. That's the perfect storm right there. God wanted me to eat that bowl of Cheerios. Okay, nothing wrong with that. Had I eaten the whole box and left none for my wife and kids, that might have been, there's, maybe that's teetering the seesaw a little too far. I don't know. So there's a, there's a point where desires that are good begin to get distorted, right? I'm going to do a little bit of psychology with this this morning. I'm not a psychologist. So fair warning, that's my disclaimer. But I think in order to really fully grasp what James is writing about here, in order to fully grasp, we need to understand what desires are so that we can understand how to handle them, right? And I I think that a lot of times when we hear talk about desires and we hear about fighting temptation, we don't fully understand how to do that even when we're given really good scripture to memorize that is truth because we don't understand ourselves and what it is we're actually fighting. So just a little bit of psychology on that. And there's uh, this thing called Maslow's hierarchy. You guys familiar with that? And so it's this idea that there are basic needs of every human being and they, if one isn't met first, he builds it like a pyramid. So if this bottom layer is not met, then that top layer can't get met. Right? And so I think he's got four of them, and it goes physiological needs is the base. Like if you are starving and don't have shelter, then I can't even begin to talk to you about making good choices. That would be what his philosophy says, right? Is that, that need needs to get met first. Physiological needs, providing for you. Next after that is safety. You need to feel safe and secure. If you are living in a war zone, chances are you're not getting your next top two tiers met, right, of your needs. There's something wrong and broken there. We need to address that. And so after physiological needs, needs of safety, after that becomes love and belonging, this need for interaction and community and to feel like people care about you. And then the top one on this pyramid is self-actualization, which is basically, it means kind of similar to what James was talking about, of you becoming a whole and mature and complete person, lacking in nothing. Uh, But it's really like, hey, what is that thing that you always wanted to be? Become it. Once you got your base needs met, go out and become the thing you want to be. And later in his life, and due to criticism from others and even criticism of his own hierarchy of needs, Maslow added another one after that, which is, not self-actualization, but this idea that there's something else bigger, too, outside of us that we need to be a part of. And so I think there's a lot of truth to that construct he created, but I think the way of approaching it and going about it is wrong. 
as far as listing it in terms of steps. And if you get this, then you can get that, and then you can move on. And once you have self-actualized yourself into a great person, then you could be a part of something bigger, right? There's another school of thought out there in counseling and psychology of like 16 basic desires. A guy by the name of Stephen Rice came with 16 basic desires all humans share. It's a long list. I think some of them are repetitive. So here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to bring them down to four. Okay. So I think I got a slide for that, Andy. We have basic needs, things that every single one of us desire and long for. And then out of those grow other desires that they stem from. So we all have this basic intrinsic need in us to be loved. Maybe you might word it more like, I want to be respected, or I want people to admire me. I want them to see me. I want them to know I exist. Basically, what I felt like the Spirit was telling me to say to that lady, Keila, I want to have worth and value, right? I think that's something every human being needs and desires at its most basic level. But oftentimes, that plays itself out through other needs, surface needs that start to creep up. Sometimes that plays itself out in sexual sin. Because I need to be loved, and I need to be noticed and valued, and I don't feel like I'm getting that here, so I'll go get it there. Or I don't want to wait for it, so I'll go get it now. Sometimes it plays itself out in affairs. Sometimes it plays itself out in manipulating relationships that should be good, healthy relationships. Sometimes it's, I really want my spouse to treat me this way or view me this way. And so if I do certain things, say certain things, make her feel a certain way about herself or himself, then I'll get what I want out of that. Sometimes, I think most times, in our culture now, the big one is it plays itself out in social media. Right? Like, how often am I going back to check how many people liked that status post? How many double taps did I get on my Instagram feed? What if I post a picture just slightly in this angle instead? I got, you know, I got to make sure I get the right side of my beard on there. How many of us are craving that value, that sense of worth through social media, through people tapping on their screen? And so when we look at those things, this is what we do is we tend to look at that and we go, man, that's wrong. I got to stop that. I know it's not healthy. And we stop there. But what if we trace that back? We said, wait a second, this is coming out of a need I have to be loved and known. Another one, another need we have is to feel safe and secure. We do, we all have this need inside of us. And so oftentimes we do things like working way, way, way too much. I gotta make sure I'm providing, I'm paying the bills. I gotta take on another job. You know, we become workaholics or, or we tend to develop this love for money because that's the thing that is providing for our security, for our safety, right? Or it could be, man, if we don't have an opportunity to do those things, it could result in going out and stealing and taking the things that we feel like we need. And you want to look at that and go, why are you stealing? Why are you taking this? This doesn't belong to you. Don't you realize how wicked that is? And you go, yeah, but I got to eat. We got to trace it back the basic need and desire. What is the desire underneath the desire? 
You need to be loved and known. You need to be safe and secure. We want to experience joy. All of us do. No one wants to be glum and just pouting all the time, right? But how do we go about getting it? In our culture, it looks like consumption of goods and services and experiences. I got family members who are spending more money than they have to go on lavish vacations and going in debt for it because they want that experience and this will make me feel better, feel good, feel happy. And then three months from now, I'm going to do it again on another vacation. I still haven't paid off that one yet, though. What are we turning to for that? That instant gratification. Finally, we want to be loved. We want to feel safe. We want to experience joy. We all want meaning and significance in life. We want to know that not only are we a part of something bigger, but actually we want to be that something bigger in most cases. And so many of us are seeking power, positions of authority. We're seeking attention from people so that we can meet that basic need. When you think about the things that you are doing, that you are being tempted with, that you just want to stop and you don't know how to stop it, are you asking yourself that question, what is that desire underneath this desire? What is it really I'm trying to meet by sitting and playing on my phone at dinner time the whole night while my family is around me and I'm not even making contact with them? What is it I'm really trying to meet when I'm binging on Netflix because I've had a hard day and I served everyone else and now it's me time? What is it I am trying to meet when I am gorging myself with food and I can't stop even though my body is telling me I'm done, I'm full, I don't need anymore? What is it I'm trying to meet when I'm looking at images on screens that I have no business looking at? What is it I'm trying to meet when I'm trying to manipulate the people around me to get the reaction out of them that's going to make me feel good? We can't just slap ourselves on the wrist and go, I gotta stop this. I gotta figure this out. I just, I just need to quit. That's it. I should be able to do that, right? Let's take a step back and go, what is the need underneath? What's that desire that's really pushing this? Because let me tell you, those service desires on the right side of the screen there, those are damaging. But what they're coming out of on the left side of the screen there, to be loved, to be safe, to experience joy, to have meaning and significance, those are good desires. You were created to have those desires. I want to read to you a quote from John Piper in his book, Desiring God. John Piper writes this. He says, The pursuit of joy in God is not optional. Think about that. If I just am obeying God and doing the things he's told me to do, he'll be happy with me, right? Isn't that the way we approach it a lot of times? But no, no, he says, The, the pursuit of joy in God is not optional. If you are a Christian, it is not an extra that a person might grow into after he comes to faith. It is not simply a way to enhance your walk with the Lord. Until your heart has hit upon this pursuit, your faith, and he puts it in quotes, your faith cannot please God. 
It is not saving faith. Saving faith is the confidence that if you sell all you have and forsake all sinful pleasures, the hidden treasure of holy joy will satisfy your deepest desires. Where does he get that? From the parable of the, lost, the buried treasure that Jesus tells. A man found treasure in the field, a field that didn't belong to him. So what does he do? He goes and sells everything he has so that he can buy that field. Jesus is that treasure. He goes on to write this. Saving faith is the heartfelt conviction, not only that Christ is reliable, but also that he is desirable. It is the confidence that he will come through with his promises and that what he promises is more to be desired than all the world. We all have desires and they are designed to be met. The question is, where are you going to meet those desires? Turn with me to Genesis 3. We're going to look at Genesis 3, verses 1 through 8. We'll have it up on the screen as well. God has created a beautiful, beautiful world for his creations, his creatures to dwell in. And he creates two very significant creatures among all of his creation. Creatures that are set apart from the rest of the creatures he made. And he gives them this task to care for the rest of what he has made. And not only that, but to be an image, a representation, to display what he's like to the rest of the creation. And we find them here, this man and this woman, in this garden, this beautiful place God has set them. And in chapter 3, we read this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. I got another slide up there, Andy. Let's take a look at what was going on with the desires of this man and woman. They had a desire to be loved. And the serpent comes in and he's crafty and he questions if that desire is being met, doesn't he? Verses four and five, he says, you will not surely die. What God told you is a lie. He's lying to you. He doesn't care about you. Listen, he knows that you'll become like him and he wants to keep you oppressed and keep you down in this low state so that he can rule over you, 
he doesn't love you. They had this need and desire to feel safe and secure. And he comes in and he questions that. And what do they say in verse 6? It says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. This is going to meet our needs. We have to eat. This God, he made us that way. And this tree is good for food. They had a, a need to experience joy. And they saw that the fruit was a delight to the eyes. And this God, he was holding out on them. He hadn't given them everything. There was more to experience outside of him. They had this need to find meaning and significance. And there's this offer before them that you can be like God. You can rule in his place once you know what's right and wrong. You don't need him. There's something greater for you. You can have that position of authority. Now let's be clear here because we, we can read this, we can look at this, we can examine it, and we can go, that dirty snake. What does James say? Verse 14. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by the lies of the enemy, by his own desire. Certainly, the enemy came in and he, he put these lies out there, right? He's trying to deceive them. He's crafty. He knows how to manipulate. But ultimately, who is that responsibility here? Who makes the choice to forsake this God who has been so good to them and believe the lies of the serpent? What if, if we go to that next slide, what if in that moment the man could have combated the lies that were being told to his wife? What if he would have come to her and said, hey, look, this God does love us. He's walked with us. In this garden, he's created this beautiful, perfect utopia. He's given to us, and he comes, and he spends time with us. He literally walks with us and talks with us. Of course he cares about us. We see that after they believe the lie, and God even comes, and he covers their nakedness. They see, oh, wait, wait, we're naked. What's wrong here? And they, they are full of shame, and they're full of guilt. And God, in his grace, still clothes them. What if he would have said, wait, wait, of course this looks like it's good for food. But look around. We have so much, far more than we need. Everything that is his is ours. It's the, the story of the prodigal son that Jesus tells with the older son at the end where he says, Father, how can you let this son come back after he squandered everything and you're barely giving me? And his, his dad goes, wait, everything I have is yours. At any time, you could just ask for it. We don't need to go to that tree. God's provided for us. He's good. He's great. That lie that God hasn't given us enough. This, this tree, though, is more delightful. This one will satisfy us more, right? I mean, this was a perfect utopian garden. Don't you think that there was other food there that tasted good, that was a delight. Don't you think it was more delightful to walk and talk with the God of the universe 
and have relationship with him? What if we combat that last lie? You can be like God. That one blows me away. Because what does God say when he creates man and woman? Let us make man in our image. God designed the man and the woman to reflect what he is like to the rest of creation. They already had that. But you and I, we do the same thing, don't we? We believe these lies all the time. We fool ourselves. And we take these good desires and we direct them towards something completely wrong that will never meet those desires. And what we need to do is like that song we sing. We need to tune our hearts to sing God's praise. Come thou fount of every blessing. That's what James says. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. This is how we combat those lies is with truth. You remember the truth that, listen, everything that you are looking for, that you long for, that you desire, can only be found in our God. And you have access to that because of Jesus, who gave up his own fleshly desires to bring us back into communion with the Father. Jesus goes into the wilderness, and he is tempted, or Satan attempts to tempt him for 40 days, 40 nights, and Jesus combats it all with the truth, with the word of God. He says, listen, you're you're trying to offer me bread when I'm hungry. Yeah, I have that need in this flesh to eat, but I know that there is a God, my Father, he fills me, he feeds me. I don't need to turn to you. You're trying to tempt me with having this position of authority over these kingdoms of earth? Who are you trying to fool? Who are you trying to fool? I know who I am. My God, the Father, over all of creation, everything that's his is mine. You and I need these truths to combat those same lies, just like the first man and woman did, just like every man and woman needs. And so, just real quickly, I want to remind us of those four truths. This comes from a book called You Can Change from Tim Chester. And we use it often. We use it often not because we're running out of good material. We use it often because it's the truth that we need today, yesterday, tomorrow, forever. That when we remember these eternal truths about who God is and what he has done for us, It reminds us who we are, and we can have that same assurance Jesus had in the wilderness to overcome temptation even when the trials are hard. And so we have this truth that if we need to be loved, respected, admired, to have worth, we know that we have a God who is gracious to us. That even when we sin, even when we've walked away from him, even when we're in the wilderness, even when, like my friend Keila, we have just been wandering around in poverty for a year saying, I don't even want to go get help. I just want people to feed me. Even then, he's a God who sees us, who hears us, who loves us. God is gracious to us, even in our sin. When we want to feel safe and secure, when we feel like we don't have enough, has God really provided for our needs? We have a God who is great. He's in control over all things. He is in control even when things seem out of control in your life and you're like, what in the world is going on? 
what am I to do? And you want to grab that wheel and take control for yourself. We have a God who is great and in control. And in the moment where it seemed like all was lost and all was out of control and his own son was hanging on that cross, he had the world right where he wanted it. God is great. We want to experience joy. We have a God who's good. We remind ourselves, Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. Adam and Eve had this option put out before them. Come and taste and see that this outside of what God had for you, it's, it's good. It's better. No, no, no. Taste and see that God is good. So much better than anything else. We want meaning and significance. That's a good desire. Do we know, though, that our God, our Father, our Dad is the most glorious being in all the universe because it's all his and he created it all and he commands it all. The king over all things is your dad. You have meaning and significance. You were made to be in his image, to display that to the world around you. These are the truths we need to fight our temptation. We don't need to suppress our desires. We don't need to fight against them in that way. We fight it with truth. That's why James moves from temptation to say, do not be deceived. My beloved brothers and sisters, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He's the same God that he was at the beginning of creation, walking with the first man and woman in the garden. And he is the same God who made the promise, even when they turned away from him, I will set things right and I will bring you back to me. That same God has that offer to you and I now. If you are following Jesus, this is what you need to hear. Remind yourselves of these truths daily. If you have not been following Jesus yet, if you don't know Jesus, this is what you need to hear. Everything that you have been longing for and wanting in life can only be met and found in Jesus Christ alone. The one who for the joy set before him suffered in his flesh, went to the cross so that you and I could be brought back to him. Let's pray. Father, we... We know that you're good, and yet we doubt at times. And in the moment of trials, when we're being tempted, we question it, we forget it, we lose sight. And God, we pray right now, as that man said to Jesus, we believe, but help our unbelief. Help us daily fight sin, not in our own strength, in our own power, in our own flesh, but in the power of your spirit, with the truth of your word and your promises, that you are so much better in all things. Give us that assurance. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're going to do things a little different this morning for the table, for communion. And what I would like to do is just, I know we don't have a lot of time, I, I went long, but I would like to take at least just a moment for us to sit in silence. And I want you to ask yourself, what is that thing that I desire right now? If you don't know what that is, think about what's the thing that's consuming my thoughts? What's the thing I go to right away? Think about what that thing is that you are desiring right now and ask yourself the question, what's the real need underneath that?
What's the real need? Significance, love, assurance of my safety, to experience something great? Ask yourself that question. Take about a minute to do that and then go to the table. There's a table up here, table on each side. That one has gluten-free if you need it. Take the bread, dip it in the cup, come back to your seat, and I would love to lead you through why we do this and what this reminder has for us in those desires. As you are taking the bread and wine back to your seat and the band is gathering, they're going to be taking it with us as well. We're going to take this together this morning. I just want us together to reflect on what we heard this morning. I want us together to hear this truth. Whatever desire popped in your head, whatever thing you thought about that has been tempting you, as you were peeling that back and asking that question, what's really underneath that? What is I really long for? Know this truth that Jesus is the answer to that. Ever since that first sin we read about in Genesis 3, the world has been broken. And you know what that means is that all those desires and longings we have, they're not getting met. They're not getting met in this world. But Jesus, Jesus came, God with us, Emmanuel, to bring that. Jesus when we're told in Hebrews, for the joy set before him endured the cross, he already had heaven. He already had his kingdom. He already had relationship with the Father. What was the joy set before him? It was to bring us back. For us, but also for the glory of his Father. Bringing wholeness to all of creation the way it should be so that God would receive glory. And you and I receive good when he receives glory. And so in that moment in the garden, Jesus, in his flesh that he took on for us, is feeling fear and anxiety, sweating blood, because he knows what's coming. And how did he fight that? For the joy set before him. You and I, we're going to face trials, and we're going to be tempted. And in our flesh, in these broken bodies, we're going to want to turn away from what we know is true, and we're going to want to chase after things in our own way. May we be reminded Jesus took that brokenness on for us fully so that we could have all of our longings and desires met in Christ alone. Take this with me. And let's sing together. <laughs>